This morning we're going to do quite a bit of discussion at your table. So I'm going to talk for like five minutes, then discuss, five more minutes, then discuss, and then back and forth. So we'll do like three different uh, sections of questions this morning. So if you are at a table and no one there has a, a question sheet, then you need to get a question sheet. And there's one up here on the stage if you need to pick one up here in a little bit. But we are in the book of Hosea. And Hosea, if you recall, is a prophet and he's married to, what's her name? Gomer. I just like to have you guys say Gomer as much and often as possible. And she is a promiscuous woman. She's been cheating on her husband and God knew this would happen. Hosea knew this would happen. And the point of it is to point out Israel's cheating on God. So Hosea's life gets to be an example. God loves you and has a horrible plan for your life, right? So um, that's Hosea's plan anyway. And last week we looked at this idea of repentance. And I never actually told you what the Greek word for repentance was last week. And I know that you left here thinking, you know, Dave never told us the Greek word for repentance. And that really bothered me. So I'm going to tell you what the Greek word for repentance is. But anyone know what the Greek word for repentance is? Anyone? Starts with an M? No. Crickets. All right. Uh, metanoia, right? Metanoia. Think of like the word annoying and then put metanoia. That's how you say it. Now, here's what it means. Listen, it means a change of mind. It means a change of mind. And so it means to change your mind. Let God change your mind about the way that you view him, the way that you view sin, the way that your life is is walking in, right? And so it's not just a change of behavior because we can change behavior sometimes, right? But not change our mind about the sin we used to do, correct? So there are times where you might, you might hear someone preach something and you say, yeah, I need to quit doing that. And you just change your behavior, but your mind is still set on sin. Your heart is still set on sin. So it's a change of mind, which then leads to a change of behavior, right? It flows out from, from the heart. So that's repentance. So we looked at that last week and today we're looking at, um, sort of a, another take on that. We're looking at our response to God's love, our response to God's love, because if you really think about God's love and what he's done for us, God's love demands a response. God's love demands a response from us when we hear the gospel, we hear about Christ and his death, burial, resurrection. God's love for us demands a response. And here's my fear, though. Listen, here's my fear. My fear is that many of us, especially at your, at your age, attend church, but never fall on your face in surrender to him and in repentance. That's my biggest fear. Look at me. That is my biggest fear by far as a high school pastor. That you just go through the church routine, but you never come to a place where you acknowledge your guilt before him and surrender your life to him. In fact, last week, I, was, I met with a guy that goes here. He's not here this morning, but I met with a guy that goes here. We had uh, coffee at Starbucks just talking about stuff. And, and, um, and I said, I just wanted to lay out the gospel just to make sure he understood it. He's been here for about a year or so. And I said, so tell me, how, how does someone become a Christian? If, if I was a non-believer, how would you tell me somebody becomes a Christian? And his response, really, it, it, it really kind of concerned me. And it was something about, well, you know, I just think that, you know, you start going to church and you, 
and you read your Bible, and, you know, when I came to Connect Weekend last year, I just really, I just felt the music, and I really just connected with that, and, and I'm sitting there going, and, and, okay, and then he just stopped, and I said, well, I'm, gl- I'm glad those things are meaningful to you, but let me, let me tell you the gospel now, and I went to Hosea chapter 5, verse, we looked at it last week, and I said, God basically says, I'm going to withdraw from my people until what? Remember? Until they do what? Acknowledge their guilt. Acknowledge their guilt. And we tried to press on that idea last week because, listen to me, if you just kind of come to church and you're like, yeah, I like the gospel story, it's neat. Or if you say, I just connect with music when I go to church and I just... I get all these warm fuzzies from God. That's not the God. That's not how you become a Christian. You don't become a Christian until you fully acknowledge your guilty standing before Jesus. And then you decide to surrender your life to him. Because recall last week, what did it say? It said, you're not going to seek his face until you acknowledge your guilt. You're not going to seek him until you acknowledge your guilty standing before him. And so you become a Christian when you go to God and say, God, I am guilty. I'm completely and totally guilty before you. And I need you to save me. That's when you become a Christian. That's when you become a Christian and not before. And so today we're looking at this response. God's love demands a response. And so we've been looking at some videos that depict it's a modern-day retelling of Hosea, so we've got video number five for you to look at today. So let's go ahead and watch this video. You might want to turn the volume up, please, the back. Maybe you should pause it until we can turn the volume up at the back. There we go. We do this every Sunday. I'm sorry.
So now what I want you guys to do is we're going to read in Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 to 3 together, and then you guys are going to have some discussion questions at your tables. Um, look at Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. And this is Hosea talking, but he's talking on behalf of the nation. So it's not as if the nation is now coming saying, okay, okay, we're going to repent. This is Hosea talking like as if he is the nation talking, right? What he, what he wants to see happen, he's saying it in these verses. So look at verses 1 to 3, Hosea chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is, is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Go ahead and do your first three questions. Don't go past number three. Okay, I'll take it as a sign that when my students start texting me during their discussion time, that means they're done discussing. I don't know what table that was, but they at the back left area. All right, so I do want to highlight a few things, and then we're going to go on to some more discussion. So turn towards the stage. There's a few points I want you to see from this, this part of the passage, and we'll go on to the next passage. The first point, you've already discussed it, but it's this. Sometimes God brings suffering, so we'll seek him. Sometimes he removes our idols so that we'll seek after him. Any kind of suffering that you and I go through, essentially what God is doing is stripping us down of our idolatry. We, that's how we can boil down suffering, right? So even if you're going through, even if, even if you're going through some really tough things, I'm not saying that you know, God's gleefully doing this. I'm just saying that he's going through some essential stripping down of idolatry so that we'll turn towards him. That's what is happening when we suffer. And so we, we, the, the only problem, though, is here's what people do. When we suffer, most people either turn towards him or run from him. You never stay in neutral when you suffer. Have you noticed that? You never stay in neutral when you suffer. You always go one direction or the other. And so my suggestion is that you run to him because here's what's going to happen. If you run away from him and say, I've, I've, I'm done with Jesus because he causes suffering. Well, guess what? You're still going to experience suffering even without him. So would you rather suffer with him or suffer without him? Because suffering is going to happen either way. The next point I want you to see from this is Repentance is always a return to relationship. Notice this verse does not say, come, let us return to a set of commandments. Come, let us return to some rules. It's come, let us return to the Lord, to God. And I think we often forget that. We forget that he longs to be in relationship to us. He wants us to return to him. And so just like Hosea is pursuing this woman that he loves. You see, the whole point of Hosea, the whole point of the story is to humanize it so that you understand what God is doing and God's pursuing you. Now, God's not human. I'm not trying to put all of our human emotions and characteristics on God. That'd be wrong for me to do. But the reason why we have Hosea and Gomer is because God wants to humanize a bit the story of how he's pursuing us. 
And he's saying, come, return, return to me. I'm a God that loves you, wants to be in a relationship with you, and I care for you. The next point I want you to see is when you and I respond in repentance, look at this verse. He pours out his grace. He pours out his grace. He's eager. He longs. He's quick to show mercy. So when you have a friend who says, no, I don't want to repent and turn back to Jesus, I mean, show him this passage. Say, look, this is what he wants for you. He's for you. He's, it's not like you repent and he's like, ha ha, I got you. Right? I was right, you were wrong. That's not what God does. God pours out his mercy on us. This is like a shower, a rain shower. He pours out his grace on us. And so look with me at, at Hosea chapter 6, verse 6 now. Look just a couple verses down. Verse 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So with that verse in the back of your mind, go ahead and do your next two questions. Questions four and five. Go ahead and discuss. Okay, I want you to turn your attention now to the New Testament. We're going to finish up with a a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 7. So turn there if you have your Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 to 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 to 10. And I want you to see from this passage, there is a huge difference between worldly repentance and godly repentance. I think of, um, I can think of celebrities that have maybe come out recently in the news that have been found out cheating on their spouse, and we see a certain worldly repentance take place. We see shame. We see, I'm going to come out of this a better person. We see a worldly kind of repentance taking place, but I would say that it's not godly repentance. It's not godly grief, as Paul talks about it here in this passage. Now, you have to know that 1 Corinthians, if you've never read 1 Corinthians, if you think the church is messed up today, just read 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is Christians gone wild. That's what it, it is. It's, it's like Vegas, and, and, and there's things happening. You're like, they did what? They thought that was okay, and they, sell, they were like, hey, look how gracious we are. We're accepting of all kinds of sin. And if you read 1 Corinthians, you realize how messed up the church has always been. So it's very encouraging in a weird kind of way. Um, so 1 Corinthians was harsh, though. Paul, Paul is writing this letter. I call it a, a spiritual backhand to the face, is what Paul's doing to the Corinthians. And um, so 1 Corinthians is one big, like, backslap, right, to the Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is the explanation for part of that letter, where Paul says... You know, I kind of regret sending you that letter, but then again, I kind of don't, right? And so this is his explanation in verses uh, 7, or chapter 7, verses 8 to 10. Here it is. It says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, 
but because you were grieved into repenting. Listen, grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So we've got godly grief and we've got worldly grief. Now listen, when you and I are confronted with sin, even as Christians, we can have a response that lines up with worldly grief, worldly repentance, and doesn't line up with godly grief and godly repentance. Here's the difference. This verse tells you the difference. It says, look at what godly grief leads back to. Look what it leads back to. It leads to salvation without regret. It leads to you saying, God, I acknowledge my guilt before you. It's no one's fault except mine. And I want to put my faith and surrender my life to you. That is godly repentance. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Produces death. Not just physically. We're talking about spiritual death here. A death of relationships. A, a, a death of, of, of someone really truly seeking God. And so look at, look at where it leads. So if you, ask, if you want to know what kind of repentance am I doing when I repent, look at where it leads. Does it lead to godly sorrow, which leads to the cross? True repentance. Or is it something that you're trying to hide stuff? You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to do that, but I don't do that anymore. And you're trying to save your name. You're trying to make sure people know that you're not really as bad as everyone thinks you are. And the reality is, no, you really are that bad, and you need to take that sin to Jesus too. You need to, take the, you need to take the sin that you initially committed and the covering up part of your sin, that part as well. Take all of that to Jesus because it all needs to go to the cross. You see, we live in a culture that says guilt is always bad. Like, don't make me feel guilty. Jesus isn't about guilt. No, yes, Jesus is about guilt. But he's about you taking that guilt to the cross. That's what Jesus is about. And that's a picture of godly grief and godly repentance. So I want you to discuss these last four questions at your table. Where does your sorrow lead? What does it lead you to do? Go ahead and discuss. You guys can pray at your tables when you're finished.